Hello, and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull or need that chalk on your back, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus boost in your training without the brutal caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is a pre-workout for you. And I'll swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training. And you can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. But tonight, I'm sitting down with Garrett Fear, powerlifting phenomenon and owner of Indie City Barbell, whose journey from teenage heroin addict to one of the biggest names in powerlifting has led to a pretty large and loyal following coupled with his tendency to speak his mind and let you know exactly where you stand with him. Don't miss a single minute of this episode as we speak into the importance of doing your research before taking PEDs, why breakfast burritos need cream cheese, and the toxicity that comes with using 25-pound bumper plates and calling them 45s. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Garrett, what is going on, man? What is up, my dude, Big Mo? How you feeling, man? Hey, we're feeling all right. Uh, I am moving to Salt Lake City a week from today, so I am. Uh, Where do you live now? I live in Washington D.C. Uh, I live right downtown. Oh, God, Washington D.C. to mm-hmm. Salt Lake City. You know, yeah. I recently, um, like, uh, I was just, I listened to like lots of podcasts, and on Joe Rogan, I found out. That Salt Lake City is one of the most multicultural cities in the U.S. That's what I've heard. That's what yeah, I've heard. Which is, what was my mind? I was like, in Utah? Really? Yeah. Uh, of all the states in the world, why is yeah, it? All of Utah. Utah. <laughs> Salt, and like Salt Lake City has this horrible stain on it mm-hmm. because the Mormons started there. Right. And if you know anything deep about Mormon history, it's not as clean as people believe. Yeah, it's not all white clothes and singing together. No, no, no. And I also uh, just moved. Uh, really? I only moved. Yeah, I only moved two blocks from my old condo. Oh, that's a big um, but move. I moved into my first house, though. I'm not buying. I'm renting. But uh, three bedroom, two and a half bath. I got a yard for the dog. I'm still. I'm basically a walk away from my gym. It's pretty sick, man. That's that's pretty huge. I'll actually I'll be in Indianapolis August first. It's the first stop on my uh, my drive across the U.S. My five day journey. Oh so, yeah. So I've actually never been. I've been to like the outskirts before, but I was like, ah, it'll be good. Now, granted, I'm getting in at 11 p.m. and leaving at like 7 a.m. But nonetheless, I can say that I've been there. I'll drive past Indy and, and, and wave, you know, as you're pulling something. For sure. Sir. For sure. For sure. Um, well, for those who, who don't know who you are, uh, obviously most of the listeners definitely do know who you are, but for those who don't, um, I wonder just how in the world did you get started in, in powerlifting? I know you've had, you've had quite the journey, so maybe not all the details quite yet, but at least specifically in the fitness journey, what was it that got you even into this really weird, strangely elitist sport? Um, into the sport itself or fitness, I'll kind of segue both of those things, um, Getting into fitness off the bat had a lot to do with vanity and 
generally wanting to be healthier. I wanted to look better and I wanted to be healthier. Uh, at the time, I was using some pretty hardcore recreational drugs. I was almost, I was six foot tall and I was 135 pounds. Um, I might have been even a little taller at this point. Can't really remember anymore. Um, and quite literally, just like had a epiphany moment and just decided to flip the switch. Um, as for going into fitness, I kind of, even though I wanted to be bigger and I wanted to be more muscular and I wanted to be more quote unquote toned and things like that, I always wanted to be strong. Um, reason being my brother, Michael, he was in the army and in Afghanistan, he picked up powerlifting. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, now I want to be strong too. That way this piece of shit can't talk shit to me about how very <laughs> strong I am. And so I kind of always had a strength focus and the way I, um, like kind of laid out my training sessions when I was younger, when I first got into it, I essentially started with uh, a basic like power lifting split in the beginning of the workout. I'd mm -hmm. start with either squats, deadlifts, or bench. And then I would follow with a bodybuilding workout that coincided with that base compound movement. So if I did leg, if I did squats, I'd do legs and make it quad dominant, calf dominant. If I did deadlifts, I'd do lower back and hamstrings. If I did my bench on my bench days, I'd mainly train back. I was really, really horrible about training arms and chests for years, uh, hence the underdevelopment there. Yeah, story of my life. Um, and then after that bodybuilding part of the session, I would follow that with a uh, like CrossFit-esque conditioning workout that mm -hmm. would typically have some sort of barbell movement with some plyo movements and some, it's usually some sort of circuit of some sort. And then to finish off my three, four-hour training sessions, and not the powerlifting four-hour training sessions I have now where I have 25-minute rest times where I'm talking <laughs> right. half my gym. You know, I'm talking like four-hour, three-hour sessions straight through, busting ass the whole time. I'd finish off with like some sort of calisthenic-based workout, something on a, on a pull-up bar or something. I was just really into all of the aspects of fitness at the time and didn't want to – be looked at as like a one trick pony. Um, but that was just the, the egotistical, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old in me. Um, I didn't actually start competing in powerlifting until I was 18, but I was following the first program I ever followed was a free TSA program that I found online. And it was just, it was just a peaking program. Uh, it was like a 12 or 10 week peaking program. This Yikes. was before this was before like powerlifting methodology really like ironed itself out. Sure. And uh I just modified that for years on end based on what my current goals were. Um and so that's really how I got in into the the, the aspect of the sport itself was following that program and then later doing my first contest, got into that through some guys that I met and um, one who, a couple of them who I'm still very, very, very close to now. Um, we had big dreams to open a facility. We did that. And um, that facility is doing very well in Northern Indiana, East race muscle, amazing facility, amazing people. Um, yeah. So that's really how I, how I got into the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, as you were saying, I pulled up your, the classic massonomics rookie card uh, for yeah that, that good old April, 2016. I mean, you told twelve twenty eight. Uh, that was that was my first sanctioned contest. Sure, 
Um, I was doing, and I'd done other sanctioned contests before that that were not full power, mm-hmm. but the sanctioning body was so bad they were never even recognized in the first place right. um, by any other sanctioning bodies. Um, so yeah, I, I'd actually been competing for I don't know eight months, a year before that, or something like that. But that was my first. That meet was my first sanctioned full power meet. It was a USPA meet. I squatted like 436. I benched like 264 or 275. I don't remember. And then I deadlifted 529. I weighed in at like 176 mm-hmm. pounds. And um, I went into that meet thinking I was the shit. <laughs> I went into that meet thinking I was the fucking God's gift to the strength world. Um and I absolutely was not. Um, I got smoked by who is now a very good friend, his family, all my very good friends with. His name is Dylan Nostrant. Um, and his dad, Doug Nostrant, and his stepmom, Candy, they run the uh, USPA Great Lakes, which, are, mm-hmm. which would be like Michigan, Pittsburgh, Northern Ohio, or I'm sorry, Pennsylvania, Northern Ohio, um, I think they even do a little bit in Illinois, but, and his son, Dylan, I totaled 1226 and went seven for nine. Dylan totaled like 1440 and went (laughs) and went four for nine. Wow. That's even more devastating. Actually. Yeah. I got murdered, bro. It was (laughs) a lot of fun. Oh man. Well, and and that's actually one of my favorite things to chat with people about is, is that first competition because you know, especially then you can look, I mean, obviously total more upwards of 1800 at this point that, I mean, competitions are, you know, we all shit the bed at different points. I still remember you posting F like four or six months ago. Um, but, and and we'll we'll get to that, but I, but I even wonder that first competition, even maybe not even the sanctioned one, your first squat in competition, the first time you're getting on that, that, that sanctioned contest was that it was my, was my first squat in contest. Every contest I've done before that, was push pull or deadlift only? Okay, that's actually sidebar. This is something I find so interesting. Why are there no squat only meets? Like I know so they're like actually, so actually, there's no squat only meets, but you can enter the RPS mm-hmm. in squat only. And I think like three six five strong is another one I've competed in before. This Bill Gillespie. Oh. Don't don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, the amount of feedback. I apologize to all listeners for what you just had to go through. But both of those are the only ones I've ever heard of having squat only. What why is that such a rare thing? Like I love squatting. I don't understand why no one does it. Most uh, I think on a on a level of perception, there is the most danger associated with a squat. Yeah. Plus, I think the majority of casual powerlifters or people who casually do powerlifting contests don't squat anyway. Yeah. They all want to so, bench. They all want to bench. They, Nobody they all want to bench. Okay. I get asked what I squat because I walk around and Daisy Dukes and my quads yeah. are popping. <laughs> right. like, I personally don't get asked what I bench, but everybody else that I know who's big and does powerlifting, that's the first question anybody asks them. What do you press? What do you bench? Yeah. See, I, I intentionally try to walk around like I want to be asked the question squat because I know if they ask me what I bench, I'm going to be like, ah, oh, like 
don't don't worry about it. It's not that big. <laughs> like ask me what I squat. They're like, oh, okay. But um, yeah, I even wonder if you put yourself back into the mind of that first moment you step on the platform to squat. You've got your judge in front of you. He's about to give you the command. What's running through your head? What was it like that first moment where you knew, hey, this is my first lift in a sanctioned meet? I hated team sports growing up. Mm-hmm. I hated having to depend on other people, depend on a coach to tell me what to do all the time. Um, I, I just I hated the entire dynamic of team sports. It was never fun for me. Maybe that's uh, for selfish reasons. But um, I loved going up there and knowing that I was the – like, obviously, there's referees, there's, there's depth calls, there's commands. But I was the only person in control of my success or my failure. Yeah. And so for me, um, it was just a fuck ton of, of adrenaline. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget – I don't remember my first or second squat that meet, but I remember my third squat. And I remember my third squat – we I put a number on the bar that like I'd only came close to a couple of times. It was like you know around four forty, four thirty six, something like that. And I'd squatted like four fifteen in the gym, and it was horrible, and it was high. And that whole meet going, that whole contest prep going into that meet, I was still figuring out like what depth actually was. And ironically, the only that is still to this day the only time I've gone three for three on squats was that first really. Wow. That's saying something. Yeah. That's the oh, dude. dude. Wow. Everybody loves to talk about how awesome it is to get strong. And it is. It's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. It's very internally rewarding. It feels great to like know that, you know, at one point you peaked for a 500 pound deadlift. And after that peak, you never thought you'd be that strong again. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and you're deadlifting 600 pounds. And then you're deadlifting 700 pounds. I mean, that applies to any of the three contest, contest movement. It feels great. You know, people, the idea of getting stronger is awesome. But it's fucking horrible yeah. to get stronger. Yeah. It is horrible. It inherently, and a lot of people will disagree with this. That's perfectly okay. But it will inherently start to hurt more. It will inherently become harder to execute. Now it's... As you get stronger, you should develop that technical ability to you, – you should develop that technical ability, that high-end technical ability, and you do. But the threshold constantly changes as you're getting stronger. So the, the technique you would be able to – you know, for me, you know, the technique I was able to maintain with a 600-pound squat a year ago is nothing compared to how I could handle a 600-pound squat now. Right. And uh, it still fucking hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does. And and I think there's a glamour associated with lifting that people who don't lift at a high level don't understand, like don't realize isn't real. Like, yes, yeah, okay, like obviously when you when you finished like when you pulled 804, the amount of ecstasy on your face was great, but shit hurts. Like dude, it took that 804 pull, man. So I was again, just like this all comes with development and growth inside of the sport. I think people tend to inherently think once they hit one big like threshold marker, they're they almost deserve the the next one, that next tier. And um, so I pulled seven sixty five in in February of seventeen. Mm-hmm. I pulled seven hundred in October of 
16, mm-hmm. and maybe November. And so I was like, oh, you know, I put 60 pounds on my deadlift in these four and a half, five months, yeah. um, 800s right around the corner. I didn't deadlift 800 pounds until December of 2020. And like, bro, 2019, December 2019. Yeah, we're not, this is not from the future. Everyone's listening. Yeah, it's December 2019. I mean, shit, man. And and, um, I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was ready for those three years. So every time I see one of these posts, of some 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kid. It's the same number every time it's 700 pounds. Every time one of these kids deadlift 700 pounds, it's immediately followed and then captioned by like 800 right around the corner. Right. And it's like, I hate to break it to you guys, but you're probably gonna give up on this sport before you ever even get to take a real crap at 800 pounds. Yeah. Because after a while, well, yes, the entire point is to have fun and to be fun. Uh, to, 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 to be to be happy to be doing what you're doing but sure once you get to the elite level and you want to maintain the elite level it, it slowly becomes work yeah. i mean and, and it becomes it becomes more about just being productive in your sessions versus like what can i hit or what am i capable of it's more about okay i have to be productive in this session and do exactly what i can do on this day that will attribute to these next three years of contest mm-hmm. um like as the for like as of right now, you know the showdown meet is kind of up in the air. International athletes aren't able to come in still, and it's in New York. And I actually withdrew from that meet in February. I was dealing and still kind of am dealing with a lot of smaller nagging injuries. And uh, uh, like I just remember talking to somebody, a good a good friend. I, I won't name drop, and uh, he recently had a pretty crazy uh, adductor injury. And I was like, oh, man, you know, it's going to suck to pull from the meat. And he's like, nah, man, I ain't pulling from the meat. I'm n- I never pull from a meat. And he's been competing for a lo- longer than yeah. I have. Yeah. And um, he's like, I'll never pull from a meat. I'll never, ever pull from a meat. And I, and I get that mentality and I respect that mentality. But long term, I think that mentality is going to get a lot of people hurt. Yeah. The mentality of like, uh, you know, that, that, that diehard fringe mentality of of, of, of of killing it all the time and, and then always pushing to that maximum threshold. It's not really worth it to do. Because uh, we're not immortal. We just, we are. No. Oh man. And, and that is like one of the hardest things to get through some of these 18, 19, 20, 21 year old skulls, including my own. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a long time to really learn like about injury prevention uh, proactivity inside of my training, outside of my training, all the other factors you have to get right, um, or at least have the intent of getting right. And for me, I feel like I'm always missing, you know, two to three of those factors, whether it be sleep, whether it be nutrition, whether it be hydration, whether it be, you know, keeping my stress low in other parts of my life or, or whatever. I feel like there's always something that's, that's not aligned. There's something that's not lined up. And that's what led to a lot of those injuries for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, that's typically what leads to those injuries for a lot of people. Maybe that's commonsensical, but um, yeah, it, it the, the, the diehard mentality and go, 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 I think is something that has to be retrained for a lot of people. For sure. 
Well, uh, and I know we, we tapped on it a little bit um, on, on the front end, but kind of as I said, I mean, you, you've had quite an incredible journey, you know, to the point where you're at. I mean, you're a gym owner. You've just moved into your first house. Like th- things are moving up for you. You're doing a million things. Things are moving up for you. But I mean, if we go back to when you're a teenager, like you're, you're on drugs, you're not really sure the next steps. I mean, you've had quite the turnaround. And so I wonder if you could just share a little bit kind of your own personal struggle and journey to even getting to where you are now. Um, okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so like give everybody who's listening a general layover. Uh, I am one of 17 kids. I have five older brothers and two older sisters and then seven younger sisters and two younger brothers. Uh, we grew up very poor. Um, both, neither of my parents graduated from high school. They're both, uh, very much so were, they just lived in a very different generation with a very different uh, lifestyle, and it was more about working in the workforce. And so that's what my dad did pretty much right off the bat. Um, my dad is very much so a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-all type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he can pretty much do whatever the hell he sets his mind to. Um, my mom uh, always also been a workhorse, typically worked around the clock. Um, so being one of 17 kids with two parents who are working all the time just to feed these kids, just to have a roof over these kids' head, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of supervision growing up, not as much as there should have been. And how can there be in that family? Sure. And for anybody who's wondering, we're not Catholic, we're not Amish, and we're not Mormon. It's simply by chance. It's universal chance. Um, not a lot of supervision. Um, and on top of that, we grew up in never the greatest of areas, whether it was like a ghetto in a bigger city or a farm town where everybody's on drugs because there's nothing to do. It was always it was always in one of those two types of scenarios for me growing up. Um, so we were just exposed to more generally, um, whether that be drugs, alcohol, uh, general hoodlum shit, um, whatever. Um, crime and petty crime in some capacity was always a part of my life. Uh, we would, you know, find cars that were unlocked and go in and steal change and stuff. We were kids, you know, we didn't know. Yeah. But basically no supervision, um, not a really stable home life and those types of things over time led to a kid who thought he could do pretty much whatever the fuck he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by 10 years old, I had started smoking cigarettes again, both of my parents were smokers, my whole family smokers. It's like, it wasn't hard to get cigarettes. My mom left half smoked cigarette butts on the back porch. I mean, I'm talking mounds of cigarettes. And so it's mm-hmm. like, whatever, you know, they're all doing it. It looks cool. I'll do it too. And so, you know, it took me 10 years to put down cigarettes, um, by 11 years old, I had started like recreationally using drugs and drinking. And by 13, I had at least a regular habit of getting high off of something. Yeah. Um, and by yeah, even with it be, still being 13 years old, I, I started just expanding very quickly. I, I was very much so a reacher in those capacities. I was like, oh, well, this feels good. I wonder how that feels. So. Um, by 14, I was just a, I was a regular pill user of all kinds, um, opioids, um, anti-anxiety medication, um, the whole thing, just to really get high. 
I never did anything for any legitimate medical purposes, obviously. Um, and so that very, very quickly developed and very, very quickly became expensive. And so being a 14 year old in Midwest Ohio, it became easier and cheaper for me to get my hands on heroin than it did pills or weed for that matter or, or alcohol right. for that matter. Um, and that's, that's true. I and mean, you can watch nearly any drug documentary and they'll tell you the same thing. The, the access to the, those, uh, quote unquote, like high level recreational drugs is, is very, very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially by 14, by, by 15, I was, a I was a heroin addict. I was a pill addict. Um, I don't even like to, because I, I was definitely an addict, but I don't like to use the word addict. I feel like there's just like a big stigma there, but that's definitely what I was. Um, through that, I still made sure I did all of the like daily prerequisites I had to do. I went to school. I showed up. I never did my homework to begin with, but I did my tests and um, I went to work. I worked at McDonald's the whole time. <laughs> I had a job at McDonald's for three and a half years through high school. Um and, you know, just did my normal. So a lot, a lot of people really knew what I was doing. Uh, just people I really did it with and um, some of my siblings. Uh, it wasn't until my, like, because I had over, like, I'd overdosed multiple times. I was in the hospital a couple of times. And uh, it's not until, like, you really realize it can all go that you do something about it. Cause it's like literally, I, this is, this is a true story. After the first time where myself and my two other friends who I was with thought that I had overdosed, we thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, we literally thought it was cool that, that that could happen. And cause people think you overdose, you die. And that is not how that works. Um, a lot of times it can be, but that's not how that works. And I happen to be somebody who has a ridiculous tolerance to any type of um, inebriative substance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was heroin by a pretty young age. And uh, I got off right before I turned 16. So I was really only using heroin consistently for about a year. Um, it gets harder to remember the exact time uh, as time goes on. But uh length of use as time goes on um but it was about a year and so by the time i had finally you know given that up and gone through the horrendous withdrawals um i was again like six foot one six foot two and i was like 130 pounds six foot tall somewhere in there i was 130 pounds i was a stick i was disgusted with myself yeah. I was like, oh, I was a very vain person at the time. And even now, those 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 uh, tendencies of vanity still run through me. And um, I was just disgusted with myself. So and over time, that led to, you know, dysmorphic issues. But uh, I feel like anybody who's in this industry tends to run into that. Um, it, it isn't as – it's going to be corny to hear and it's going to be corny to say – but it is literally one of those situations where fitness, strength, whatever, um, saved my life. Uh, who knows where I would have been, man. I, I was always pushing the envelope. I was always raising that bar. And 
how much of this drug I could do or which of these two things I could mix or can you actually do Xanax and drink alcohol and be fine and things like that. It's very young-minded, more is more mentality. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's even as you've started, you know, competing and lifting and, and moving into prominence, I wonder how, how did that then influence? So obviously, you've been pretty open about and steroid usage with, with competition. I, how how much was there a direct influence from you going from not that because steroids obviously is a different story, but from moving from one drug to another that's necessarily more benefiting you in the long run in training than you know destroying your life completely. Um, again, when I start first, when I initially started using um, PEDs. I was just still very young-minded. I was very impatient. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the reason I actually started was because I had a pretty serious hamstring and glute injury. And there was just a guy at the gym I went to at the time who was like, hey, um, if you take this, you'll essentially you'll recover quicker and your your injury will not be an injury over time. <laughs> right. So um, I took this really shitty advice and started using stuff at that time. And I was pretty young, too young. Um, from going from recreational drugs to that, I didn't feel like it was the same thing, but I felt like in some capacity, if it came from uh, the same place uh, because of why I started using PEDs. I started using PEDs because I didn't feel like I could get through that injury. I didn't feel like that I had the patience to get through that injury. I didn't feel like if I came back from that injury that I would never be as good as I was before. And that's part of being young in this sport and not, you know, at the time the platforms weren't as the social media platforms were nowhere near as developed. Um, there was not as much free information on the internet about the sports and about the drug use inside the sports as there is now. So it was very much so like a listen to your bros and do the thing, thing, thing. <laughs> and uh, um, for me, I don't think it, uh, there are too many people with the mentality that if you want to get good at the sport or if you want to have longevity in the sport, that you have to use PEDs. And frankly, um, I'm an advocate of the exact opposite. I think if you want longevity in this sport and you really do want to get good at this sport in all the ways um, and, and, and having all the attributes that are in getting good at this sport, because getting good at this sport, in at least in my mind, my perception is not just adding weight onto a barbell. And that's what, that's what steroids can do. They can increase the weight you can add on our barbell, essentially, through mm -hmm. ways of semantics. Um, but in my opinion, the best way to stay in this sport for as long as possible, to become as technically proficient, to become as strong as you can be, um, to have uh, uh, a lower risk of injury, um, is to, to not take these substances. The, 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 the PEDs... Uh, um, obviously they accelerate things, but they're, they're, they accelerate muscular growth and things like that. Uh, but they don't accelerate, uh, tendon growth or tendon health or ligament health, joint health, those types of things it doesn't help any of that. So you get strong too quickly. You're going to experience 
some more of those issues more frequently to a higher severity than you would had you not used those compounds. There is tons and tons of education on these compounds. There's tons and tons of education, uh, free education online about PEDs. If it's, if it's a path any of you out there are considering, I strongly suggest actually getting educated first. And I'm not talking about steroid forums. I'm not talking about listening to your bros. I'm not talking about, you know, the IFBB pro at your gym. That's not what I'm talking about, guys. Get educated. Know what you're doing before you do it. It's not as, it's not as simple as sticking a needle in your butt. Um, it's dangerous. It's risky. There are chemical effects. There are uh, chemical effects to the brain, to the body, to your sexual health, um, to your mental health. Um, it, it's, it's not just pop it in and get strong, guys. It's really, really not. Um, over the years, I had, I had to learn some of that stuff the hard way. Um, and I consulted professionals and people who know more about PD usage in these compounds than I do. And um, I, I took a lot of the proper steps to get there. And, um, and even at times, there's still some bro stuff that happens here and there just because this thing feels better than that thing, in my opinion, or whatever. I, I, over the years, I learned that less is really more. Um, too many people have the opposite mentality. I mean, I know guys and I personally have ran grams of shit. Uh, and it, you feel worse. You feel considerably worse. I did it once. I did one cycle where I ran a shit ton of gear and, um, I regret it holistically. I regret every, every part of it. I regret abusing my body in that capacity. I regret the way I treated people when I was using all those compounds. I regret um, the way I treated myself when I was using those compounds. Um, Man, I mean, who knows? Just if I've gotten better sleep in that time, I'd probably feel better about it. But less is more. Less really, really, really is more. Yeah, that's good because it is. It's And it's in a sport in which – People see more is better because obviously, would you rather bench 200 or would you rather bench 700? Most people are going to say, I'd rather do 700. And so in that mindset, they're like, oh, I'll just take more because then I'll get right. stronger faster. And right. it's like, well, no, <laughs> maybe, maybe don't do that. Well, and the, the irony too is that the guides who are typically about like they use more gear, like more is more. Those are the same guys doing less work in the gym. Those are the guys doing like a fucking crazy top single or double every week, followed by one, maybe two accessory movements, and then only training three times a week. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it blows my mind the, the amount of other factors that people just blatantly ignore and try to essentially bypass via drug use. It, kind of disgusts me yeah they're using drugs as a substitute for actually putting in the work yeah yeah and and i know i personally know people like that people who just like oh well i'm taking this now so i'm I'm gonna you know i'll I'll, I'll bench 600 this week well yeah and and it's the same it's i remember uh and, and there's no way he's listening to it but it's gonna be really funny if he is there's a guy i knew back in college who you know he's 19 years old buck 50 soaking wet 
And, you know, he was like, Hey, you know what? I want to get really strong, really fast. He's like, I'm going to hop on something. And I was like, don't do that. Like, please don't. He's like, no, I'm gonna do it. Jumps on D ball, starts saying whatever face puffs up, whatever. But it, he got stronger. But since he did it so early in his fitness journey, he knows that the only reason that he is strong is because he hopped on so many drugs so early. Right. So he's even admitted he's never coming off. He's like, I can't, I can't stop. And I'm like, that's the problem. I'm like, dude, like he looks great now. Don't get me wrong because he's figured out a cycle. But like he's killing himself because right. he's just living off of it. Now, now uh, in that guy's defense, when he says never getting off, he sure. probably – he probably means he's taking like a air quote blast and cruise air quote approach. Right. Um, meaning that through the majority of the year you are running uh, like, you know what? I'm not going to say a recommended, a medically recommended dose of testosterone because now people's cruises are my blast. Right, and it, and it blows my mind the <laughs> right. amount of the amount of shit people will do. Yeah, we will not give any medical advice on this podcast. If you're zero medical we're, advice, we're, we are not medical professionals. Do not. I'm listen. not a. Me- I'm a 23 year old power lifter. <laughs> Don't listen to me. Yeah, I've got a communications degree. Don't listen to the scientific evidence I have to give you. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just there's a there's a whole network out there that people just don't think about because it is they see strength as a linear progression, which it isn't, and so if they've got the mindset of a linear progression to one thing, they're just going to extrapolate that into something else and say, well, then obviously if I take more steroids, I'll get stronger faster with no so consequences. The irony is, um, part of the reason that mentality exists, and this is purely anecdotal, I can't say that this is factual, obviously. I I think part of the reason that mentality exists is because let me tell you the, for most people, the best cycle they will ever do ever in their life where they will get the most results, where they will see the most changes in body composition, strength, um, all those things is the first one. Mm -hmm. And so it's, and and it's like any other drug, you're always chasing that first high. You're always chasing the first cycle. And so people feel in order to do that, you have to follow, like you said, some sort of linear, quote unquote, linear progression in what you're taking. And let me tell you, not the best move. I did that. Doesn't work. You feel like shit. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So bottom line here, guys, do your research. Don't just take steroids because you're an idiot. Well, do your research and and, and consult a professional. Yeah. Like, 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 sure. I mean, in a lot of cases, it can technically and is considered malpractice. But at the end of the day, a doctor's job is to help their patient. You can get bloods done consistently at your doctor's office Mm -hmm. you can get hormone panels run and they can't do anything about what you're taking you can tell them and if you're lucky they may even be like well if you take less of this but for the most part that's not going to happen consult a professional keep your health in mind please exactly they they would rather see you doing something safely than having you kill yourself off of taking grams of trenbolone acetate. <laughs> I never then, did that. I never good. did that. Good. Good. I'm, I'm proud of you. There's a silver lining. 
in all of this. This is good. All right. Well, um, so one of your you know, favorite quotes, I've seen you say this multiple times, is back your bullshit. And in that, um, you know, you've never been one to shy away from calling people out on their bullshit. Right. Uh, and so I think that's you, – you even started garnering a pretty large following because you were willing to just directly at people in your story, call them out, and go at them. And I mean the list is, is endless. And I actually think I've probably had a few different guests that you flamed at different points. Uh, uh, I saw you had Matt Mitchell on here. I that did. Piece of shit. I, <laughs> Matt Mitchell, he's a great guy. I, he, you know, I, I actually garnered a lot of respect from him after that episode. Very, 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 very differing opinions on that fucking dude. I'll say it here. I'll say it on my Instagram. Fuck Matt Mitchell. Well, uh, you know, moving on from that rather swiftly, um, you know, from, you know, it being Logan Chapman's SPF meet to Evan Cardone's deadlift with his little tongue stick out to uh, what's-his-face tractor that just squatted 1,200 pounds, a foot and a half high, to this new Fed that popped up that's squatting on pound plates. Like, (laughs) every, like... I guess this is the, the obvious question. What the hell is happening to powerlifting? Like social media. Um, this is where this is social media was the best and worst thing to ever happen in powerlifting. The exposure for the sport is phenomenal. Um, but I think the majority of that exposure needs to come from the drug test side of things. The, the presentation is much better. The production is much better. There's less fringe. There's less, um, non-inclusiveness there. Not that I'm all for 100% inclusiveness anyway. Some people just fucking suck and shouldn't be invited to shit. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, it, too many people are seeing the the fucking the, the guys who are only just fucking screaming and deadlifting 900 fucking pounds of dog shit fucking technique. And they see those guys do it. And, they, and then they see all the guys smacking their faces for a fucking 400 pound squat and they see that stuff all on social media and um it's i don't know man it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because powerlifting is not that powerlifting is not any specific one thing it has no specific quality but powerlifting is the most communal individual sport in the that I've ever been a part of granted I haven't been a part of any other individual sports but just from what I've heard and what I've seen um, especially strength sports. I've been to USAW meets. You ever been to a USAW meet? A, weight, a weightlifting meet? Mm-mm, not in person, no. Boring as fuck. <laughs> so boring. No one cheers. No one does shit. No one does anything. It's boring. But uh, I digress. But part of the problem in powerlifting is the overexposure via social media. Um, these people think they're entitled to something that they're not entitled to, whether that is the ability to start a federation or the ability to squat 1,200 pounds like absolute dog shit. What sucks about the truck guy specifically is that dude has dunked a 1,200-pound squat before. Yeah. He did. He dunked like a – or for multiply standards, dunked. And mind, mind it, guys. Multiply depth is different than raw depth, okay? Right. The issue that we're seeing on Instagram and through social media and things like that, those are not to even the standard that those rule books have in play. Okay. Those are way beyond that. Um, I've seen that truck dude dunk a 1200 pound squat, but the problem is 
people surround themselves with yes men and people who want to who want to see somebody else add that weight more than that person wants to see themselves add that weight. And that's, I think that's what I saw there um, with the truck guy. As for calling people out, man, I'm not a huge fan of like cancel culture or call out culture um, in ways where it's not going to help or fix anything. In these scenarios where I've done it, I've at least felt it's justified in the capacity that um, these things that these people are doing are leaving spectators via the internet with a poor taste in their mouth yeah they're saying oh this is what your sport is oh that's what you have to do to squat oh that that's what that is and that that, that's the problem i run into and in every one of the examples you can name i can almost remember perfectly i mean very very vividly exactly what happened in each of those scenarios and in nearly every one of those scenarios those people either on one scenario that dude, the dude turned around and was like, I'll hit death. And that was Tom Callis. Mm-hmm. Called out Tom Callis a couple of meets in a row. He got a lot of shit. There was never a question of if Tom Callis could take those squats to death or squat that type of weight. His standard at the time was just bad. It was horrible. Called him out on it. A couple months later, I actually got to judge his squat. At mm-hmm. the hybrid showdown, and he fucking dunked. I think it was eight twenty six or eight sixteen, eight fifteen. Dunked it. Beautiful fucking squat. It's like I know these people are capable. Most of the people are capable. When it came to someone like Matt Mitchell, no, not even close. Mm-hmm. That dude squat. What was that? Nine fifty nine or something like, something that? like that. In the SPF meet, two and a half feet high, damn near. And then accepts my like quote unquote challenge comes to the tribute meet and then bombs on 810 mm-hmm. and then after bombing had every excuse in the world as to why he bombed and then said he was going to beat my ass in front of everybody and that the only reason he didn't was because his coach begged him not to go into another scenario evan cardon we don't even have to talk about that one evan you lift like shit you train like shit you look like an idiot Please get a new shirt. This is my only thing. My only thing with Evan. And Evan, if you're listening to this, which I really hope you are, please just get another fucking shirt. Like I just – it's the red and the blue for me. It's the fact that he changes it on different lifts. Like he's going to wear the blue when he squats. He's going to wear the red when he deadlifts. Like at least get a third one, like a green one or something. Imagine, you know? imagine being such a terrible strength athlete that you're dependent on the superstition of the shirt you're wearing. <laughs> um. And then, like, now continuing issues, um, Mitchell Paz, uh, police fitness, man. This guy putting himself on this pedestal because he's a state trooper mm-hmm. and, and and views himself as, as above uh, the civilian people in powerlifting and that he should have essentially be granted higher access because he's a police officer. The dude has been caught at multiple gyms using fake weights. We've caught him using – not fake weights, but – uh, 25 pound bumpers in place of 45 pound metal plates. Um, what sucks is that guy's fucking strong. Yeah, he's strong. He's just so insecure. He has to project all these insecurities on top of everybody else. He photoshopping photos and oh, fucking freaks me out, man. Like it makes it fucking freaks me out that these people go through these lengths to to give a perception on social media. I feel 
whatever you see on social media is exactly what you're going to get in real life. Now, that's only a tidbit of my entire character, my entire uh, person, but that's me. Everything you're going to see on social media, I would say to you, I would say to anybody else's face. And someone like, oh, you'll get hit in the face once and uh, you're never going to say that shit again. Hey, bro, you think I've never been hit in the face? I've been hit in the face plenty because I, I fucking ran my mouth in situations where, uh, I don't want to say that I wasn't supposed to, but in situations where it would have gotten me hit in the face. Mm-hmm. And it's something my, my brothers and I talk about often is that um, when we fight, like I never fucking back down with the words. And that would, in in the end, I in a sense, sure, I got hit in the face and fucking got my nose broke. But my points and what I was conveying through my words always stood true. And I always won in that capacity. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm, what the fuck? I'm not scared to get hit, guys. Like, I don't care. I would say anything to your face that I would on social media. I'd say it in front of anybody. There's tons of witnesses to all of that. I call people idiots right to their fucking face, walking off the platform, mm-hmm. like because they were being fucking idiots, and they were, and, and, and thing like, I think it is important that people vocalize when there is something wrong with the standard. Yeah. Uh, this is pertaining to powerlifting specifically. I think it's very important that people vocalize that. I think it's important that that um, people aren't afraid to to say something to a bigger lifter. I'm so sick of the oh you couldn't unrack that, yeah, and you didn't squat it. Like I don't know what to fucking tell you. <laughs> and uh, man, these weird straw man arguments all over powerlifting it. It's weird. That's the bad part about the sport too. Is anybody can do it. Yeah. Anybody can do this. Literally. So what does what the hell does that mean? We are going to have some fucking characters, bro. Yeah. We are going to have some people who do some stupid shit, myself included. We're going to have some people who tarnished in the the pseudo legitimacy of the sport. I mean, that's, that's 95% of our issues. We can't gain any legitimacy. The only way we're going to gain any legitimacy, unfortunately, is probably going to be through the IPF. And um, I support that. I support bringing powerlifting onto a mainstream platform. I want my sport to grow. I want the people in this sport to excel. I want them to be treated as real athletes. Oh, you're not running. Well, they don't run in golf. They don't run in fucking NASCAR. You're moving on one plane. Okay. In NASCAR, they sit in a car. Oh, but that's, <laughs> yeah. really ha- that's really hard, bro. You know how hot those cars get? Bro, do you know what my acute blood pressure gets? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, do, 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 do you know what my knees feel like? Like, like what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't know, man. I think, I think, yeah, back your – it's not back your bullshit, by the way. It's back your shit. Even better. What it is. It's back and shit. And uh, I think that's a, that's an important thing for all people to do. If you're capable of doing something the right way, I think typically you should do something the right way. Yeah, that's good. And that's actually a perfect segue, kind of on the back end here. Uh, obviously, the, the podcast is called Faith, Fitness, and French Test. Everyone I have on, we can talk about fitness till our faces turn blue. That's where we all connect. For sure. um, but I think what really has made this 
unique. Uh, I'm, I'm not naive enough to say you know, I'm a special little snowflake because I'm not. But what's made the podcast unique has been this faith question and then this French toast question. So, you know, faith first. Um, I, I kind of tell people, you know, it's, it's always taboo. You know, people hate talking faith, spirituality, religion. Um, but but I think it, it's important, especially for me to express. Obviously, I'm a Christian. My name's Moses, for God's sake. Uh, so if you're listening to this, don't call me Moses. Call me Mo. Call me Big Mo. My mom calls me Moses. Nobody else does. Um, but that I believe that everyone, race, religion, creed, sexual orientation, whatever, has something positive to offer the world, um, whatever that may be. Uh, even if it's something that, that isn't what I personally believe in my religion, you got something good to offer the world. And so my, my question for you is this. What role, if any, has your own you know, faith, understanding of the world, spirituality played into your training, your relationships, uh, even um, as you kind of view yourself? So um, you and I have a very different view uh, on uh, interpersonal faith. I do not believe in any type of Christian deity or deity for that matter to begin with, but I have it since I was young. And I think a lot of that comes from my life experiences and what I've seen. And um, the notion for me, and I hope I don't disrespect you or anybody no, else with no, it, by all means. Um, for me is um, if, if there were a higher being an all moral being um, who could let all these things take place who could let the things that happened to me that i've never talked about publicly um happen to me or my family or my my friends or or the fucking four what is it what's that number 40 million kids starving in africa yeah. you know that's that's my opinion what i will say what I will say is there is a higher sense of morality that comes with religion that I have a lot of respect and love for. Um, and I think that for me, that's what the greater concept of religion is and Christianity is. It's just to try to be a better person and be a kinder person. Um, so kind of combining both of those things, for me, I kind of had to learn to become uh, uh, interdependent, dependent on myself yeah. and and and, and uh figure out what my capabilities are and what I'm able to do in my day-to-day -day life to improve my life 10 years from now. Um, as for how that goes into my training, it kind of goes into what I talked about earlier about why I like the individual sport is that the only person I really have to depend on is myself. And I know I can always depend on myself. And so my faith is purely in myself. Not in a sense of I think I'm above anybody else, but that I think I can do just as good, if not better than anybody else in any way that I want, whether it is being a, 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 a morally sound person, which not to say that I always am, but I think that for the most part, I think that I, I'm compassionate and passionate and that I, I care about what I care about and I'm never afraid to show that. Um, also, I just to touch on something you said, I hate that religious talk is taboo. I hate it. Yeah. Um, I think everybody should be entitled to believe in whatever they want to believe in, even if it does. If you want to be a pastafarian, which is a satirical religion, but you want to wholeheartedly believe in the pastafarian beliefs, go for it. If that's what makes you happy, and if that's what keeps you being a decent person and maintaining a level of accepted decency throughout a societal aspect, go for it. Um, for me, there hasn't been a role of God or Christianity or anything like that inside of my training. Um, for me, again, that mainly comes from just knowing that I can trust myself 
and depend on myself to do what I have to do in all of those aspects. Yeah, that's a good word. Well, uh, my personal favorite question to ask people, uh, this has been featured on other podcasts as guests have, have brought it up to, to other hosts. So hopefully this becomes the running question for powerlifting. I'd be so proud of this is the mark I leave on, uh, on the sport. I'm a big foodie. I love food. Obviously I'm 120 kilos, so I'd have to like food. Um, but especially breakfast food, any time of day, doesn't matter to me. My favorite food, my favorite food as well. It's so good. It's gotta be. So my question for you is what breakfast food holds all power, all glory as the ultimate best breakfast food for you. It's your go-to 10 times out of 10. I have three. God damn it, Garrett, go ahead. (laughs) They're all kind of the same thing. An omelet of some kind. Okay. Um, like big for me. All right. A breakfast sandwich on a bagel and a breakfast burrito. Okay. Those are all close. My big three things. Now, if I could only have one of those things for the rest of my life, it'd be a breakfast burrito. Yeah. That's a good choice. Because there's so much versatility. I like my breakfast burritos extra fucking Western diet, bro. I want whipped cream cheese all over it. I want three types of cheeses. I want five eggs, three different meats. That's it. I just want the most disgusting (laughs) fat cheese and meat ridden burrito. French toast though. I like, I like that. Like this comes from French toast. I love French toast. But when we're talking about like, because like French toast, pancakes, waffles, crepes, cinnamon buns, all of those things, those are breakfast desserts. Anybody oh, who sure. fucking denies that as well, the best breakfast dessert is a fucking crepe. Crepe, oh, nothing sure. beats crepes. Yeah. Dude, go to IHOP, get their crepes. They're so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, I, I will stand with crepes. I had a friend back in high school who was from France. And I remember going up with him to northern France and going to like an actual like crepery. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I think I've ever experienced. Did you say crepery? I think that's what it's called, a crepery. I don't know. Oh, I just no, it sounded real. It, it sounds real. It sounds right, but it's what it's called. Yeah, I'm pretty crepery. sure. It's yeah, it's probably pronounced something different in action. It's French. So I'm probably butchering that. But uh, but yeah, oh it's a whole but then they come out with the savory ones. It's got like mushrooms and shit in it, and I can't stand mushrooms, so that that doesn't work for me. But you know, so let me flip the table here a little bit. Um, who are your favorite powerlifters? Oh, That's something man. I like to ask when I go on anybody else's podcast, and I haven't been consistent in asking that. But I would like to know who are your and, and this is not me expecting you to say me. If you pick oh, me, trust me, you've got a lot of fucking problems. <laughs> trust me, I never pander to my my guests ever. Um, no, that's actually a really good question. It's changed over the years. Um, we will say, who is your favorite active powerlifter? Favorite active powerlifter is probably Andy Huang. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which that's- is which is crazy. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. He hasn't responded to me yet. So, Andy, if you're listening to this because of Garrett, come on the podcast. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just, like, I think it was probably the current last year when Homeboy sprained his groin. Yeah. And then proceeded to compete anyway and win. Like finish and fin- – like I remember they posted some compilation. It was using like a Kendrick Lamar track. 
And he came back and finished it. And I was like, holy shit, that's badass. Yeah. I, so I was there. I was handling some athletes. And I also helped commentate. Uh, side fact, I was supposed to commentate the Kern this year. Um, dude, after squats, he went and laid down on the floor in the back. Just, okay. Listen. I've seen a lot of people wince in pain. I've seen a lot of big dudes wince in pain. Seeing Andy, who's already like a quarter red in his skin tone, right. 80% of the time, get near purple because he's just fucking wincing, just laying there in fucking pain. And then 20 minutes later, get up and start warming up for bench. I was just like, all right. He, he belongs in the sport. <laughs> Andy, I think Andy, I think Andy's probably, I think Andy has had so much impact on the sport simply on uh, just the people who he's gotten to consistently keep training in terms of who his training partners are and things like that. Um, I don't know if you know, but Andy, Andy Wong, Steve Gentilly, my business partner, uh, Adam Rodriguez, you might not know of him now. But if you were in powerlifting about five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, and you were paying attention, Adam Rodriguez, his Instagram name is like Hulk Smash something something. I don't know. Adam squatted in the eights, pulled in the high sevens, like benched in the low fives, natural in USPA meets. Um, and then the, the um, uh, Mason, um, I can never actually say his last name. Sorry, Mason. Uh, those four, like like Andy and that group. And then, and then just, if you look over the years who all of Andy's training partners were, you can just see that that guy has pro like, you can tell this is, this is complete conjecture that that guy has had an impact on so many other elite level power lifters. Mm -hmm. I love it. I just love it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I really do. And, and, and I think for me, cause I mean, I started, I, I came into powerlifting through hybrid back in like beginning of 2017. So I've like kind of slow, I didn't start competing until probably two years later. So kind of in the last three years, I've just kind of been like watching people in the background and I had the, the, the benefit at least of coming in before it really blew up. And so I was able to start developing relationships with people before they all got famous. And so people ask me all the time, and I know some of the people listening have been wondering this, how the hell do I keep getting these guests? They're like, are you just sliding into DMs? Are you da da da? And I'm like, well, yeah, literally. But because I had these prior relationships with people, they're going to get a notification when I message them, as opposed to so and so wants to send you a message, and I'm just sitting in message requests. Right. Because I've been able to develop those relationships early on, I'm able to then capitalize on that and be like, hey, you got an hour? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. I love talking about myself. You know, which is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I would like to pre-apologize to everybody who's listening to this because um, I think we've put this episode off for like six weeks now. <laughs> this is supposed uh, to come out I think in June, and it's now July. I didn't mean to. It is purely my fault, man. Owning a gym, being there all the time, being in the situation that I'm in, it's just it's been hard to even make the time to move. Yeah. Let alone sit down for an hour and do a podcast. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you, Mo. So everyone that's listening, this has been the most awaited episode, I think, of all time. Even over Ed Cohen, the most awaited episode was Garrett Fear. But we've made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, last question I got for you. 
Um, you know, and every state is different right now. Obviously, California just shut back down again. But the states where, where gyms are open, people have access to equipment, and maybe even as they're considering prepping for a competition again, what is your tangible advice to people getting back in to not fuck themselves over when they get back into the gym? Oof. I can give some really cliche advice, like start slow, start with 75% of your max and do a basic linear progression off that, things like that. But uh, my real advice, guys, is just like, remember at some point, this is all going to be done with. Yeah. And at some point, our regular scheduled programming will presume. Keep that in mind. Um, this is not forever. We are not going to be, I will almost guarantee come the election, things will turn around just fine and we'll all be back in gyms. I say everybody plan on an awesome 2021 powerlifting season. Yeah. Well, folks, you heard it here first. This has just been a great conversation uh, with Garrett Fear. You can find him on Instagram at Garrett Fear. Uh, if you're in the Indianapolis area, Indy City Barbell um, is open to a certain level of capacity that I think might be like, what is it, 25%? 25% right now, yeah. 25%. So as this shit all dies down, obviously more people can be coming in. But if you're in the area, it's a great place to go train. Uh, no Fear uh, Coaching as well, I believe, has potentially open spots if people are looking to get stronger. Uh, no, not right No, now. they're not. Uh, just kidding. If you want to get no. coached, this is not the guy for you. He doesn't want you on the team. But if, keep, this, <laughs> <laughs> keep an eye on this space for when spots open back up yeah. uh, just to learn from it. Great you cool if I give a couple of quick plugs? By all means. All right. So um, obviously, like you said, guys, uh, follow me on Instagram at Garrett Fear. Follow my gym at Indy City Barbell and my business partner at PT Fitness 500. Um, stay up to date with us and everything that we're doing with the gym uh, and what we're trying to do with our current competitive careers and lifestyles. Uh, if you don't know, my business partner, Steve Gentilly, is currently in stage five kidney failure and is going through dialysis right now. Uh, and he has just been put on transplant list. So follow him and keep up to date on that journey. Um, I follow my sponsors. That's Go Strong Equipment. Go Strong makes the best equipment in powerlifting by far. Highest quality, heaviest duty. Is that a thing? Heaviest duty? Heaviest Ooh. duty. Yeah, it's better um, than heavy duty. Have, heaviest duty. They have some pretty sick apparel. Um, eat Right Foods. That's my meal prep sponsor. I eat 10 of their ten or 12 of their meals every single week. Uh, they're a Buffalo-based company. Um, uh, and they ship, I think, all over the U.S. now. Um, so definitely something you guys want to get into. Uh, a couple companies I want to shout out. Uh, just awesome companies that I've had the privilege of working with. That I'm not necessarily sponsored by, but I've had the privilege of working with. Um, I do not, I do not do paid advertisements, guys. If I'm ever, ever talking about a company on my Instagram, I was more than likely never paid for that. Um, Bacon and Barbells, Jordan Moffat, that guy's making some awesome sick shorts right now. Uh, sick Apparel, great company, locally owned out of Canada. That's why you'll see slightly higher prices there. Uh, Notorious Lift, the best deadlift slippers I've ever used. Just got those red at first. Literally yesterday. I already saw you post them. Got the exact same ones. Came in yeah. yesterday. Um, so Notorious Lift guys, go and check those guys out. Get your slippers from them. Uh, Barefoot Athletics. They make the best shoes, best flat shoes I've ever squatted in. Um, great shoes. Love them. Uh, Kabuki Strength. I just got their Transformer bar and I have their Duffalo bar inside of my gym. Great equipment. Top-notch quality. Amazing designs. Uh, and last 
but not least, I want to give a big shout out to, uh, I want everybody to go and check out my coach, uh, hamstring poppy, Sean Noriega. Dude is a genius and he has helped me uh, in these last year, year or so that we've been working together in ways that I could not put into words. He's a great friend of mine now and an awesome coach. So go check those people out, check those companies out. Um, and thank you guys all for the support you have for this piece of shit, white trash powerlifter over the past couple of years. I really appreciate it. I never expected my powerlifting journey to go this far. I kind of felt like I'd always get good at it. I never necessarily thought I'd have this level of support and I'm very appreciative of it. Although I hate social media and I hate responding to any of your guys' messages, um, just know that I love you guys. And uh, I really appreciate everything you guys do. And I, I especially appreciate all the trolling. Um, I just want to say thanks again to Mo and for letting me be here and let me have this conversation with him. And for anybody that's listening to this message, to this podcast, drop an F in the chat, boys. <laughs> well, folks, you heard it here first. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well on your platform of choice. And with that, I'll see you on July 29th with Jessica Wester. Hey guys, before I let you go, just want to give you a little bit more information as we look into the rest of this season. If you love that episode and you're craving just a little bit more from me, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast, or follow myself or the podcast on Instagram at Big Mo Powerlifting or Faith Fitness Podcast for full interviews, trailers, and more for the rest of season four. This Wednesday, I've got an episode coming up with Jessica Wester, a USAPL star. Uh, and then this upcoming Saturday, an episode with Rob the Savage Hall, which we pushed back from earlier in the season. The podcast is then going to take about a month break before I start recording again in October. So grateful for every single one of you guys that are listening. If there's guests you'd like to hear from, be sure to DM me. Let me know who you want to hear from. Let me know what you want us to talk about. But with that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening. I'll see you July 29th with Jessica Wester.